Well, greetings and welcome to Gab and Grow, a podcast about people, places, resources, and ideas that will help you become a more successful student at WCSU. I'm Mary Beth Griffin, your host, and I'm happy that you're popping in to listen to us today because we have a great resource for many of our students here. Um, because today we're talking to Elizabeth Morell, who is the director of the Accessibility Services Department. So, welcome to our podcast. Hello, thank you. So, I was, you know, trying to do my prep for today and looking through. I one of the things I do is start looking at people's websites to see all the things they have because, you know, as much as I think I know everything that goes on here because I've been here since Dirt was young. Um, there's a lot of stuff that you guys do that I didn't know about. So I guess I just want to start in by asking you to talk about accessibility services and what it is you do do. Perfect. Well, I'm excited to hear that there are things on the website that you didn't know that we did. Um, but Accessibility Services is a department on campus that works specifically for students with disabilities. And we provide accommodations and support services in the classroom as well as in housing um, to address the unique needs of students with documented disabilities. Uh, we are also fortunate enough to offer our students who use our office one-on-one -on -one academic coaching mm -hmm. uh, if they would like to do that. We don't require it for any of our students, but we highly recommend it. Uh, and they come in once a week or once every other week for time management organization and study prep. So one of the things that I was thinking about, um, and this was based on some of the stuff I read in your thing, was that um, the responsibilities for the student are very different in terms of their disabilities when they're in college versus when they were in high school. Because, you know, a lot of students had a, a, what is it, the 504 or an IEP plan that their parents and their teachers worked on, and rarely are the students involved in, in the development of those. Um, but when you get to school, it really falls on the student to kind of take care of themselves. And it's not just a you know, one-time stop, I'm going to get this all done in my first semester and I never have to do anything again. So, you know, can we talk a little bit about that? Because, um, you know, what are those responsibilities that a student has if they're coming with a disability yeah. that they want some accommodations for? Yeah, so the transition from high school to college is one that is unique to each student, but it also requires a lot of self-advocacy and commitment to requesting the accommodations, because you're right. In K through 12, the student either has an assigned caseworker that is directly responsible for that student's success um, and is checking in with them throughout mm -hmm. the day or throughout the weeks to just make sure everything's on on track. They're also checking in with the teachers to make sure that they're following the individualized accommodation plan. Mm -hmm. And then the student graduates and they're kind of given this, you're ready to move on and you're independent. And they have to be the ones that come forward to our office. And even if in the um, application process they disclose to the institution, that isn't necessarily given to me until the student self-identifies to accessibility right. services. Um, so the responsibility is on the student. Uh, we try our best to get out in front of as many first-year experience classes mm -hmm. that we can um, to let students know about this change because a lot of students don't know that they do need to come forward and let right. us know. Uh, that they need support. Yeah, I was wondering if high schools actually do something for their students who have accommodations when they go to college to say, 
you know, you're going to have to take on a lot. So let's practice some of it or something. Yeah, I, I think it's it's really high school specific. Yeah. Some high schools focus more on the transition than mm-hmm. others. Um, but the goal would be at the last IEP meeting for every student that's graduating, that Mm -hmm. that conversation happens. Um, The downfall is that students aren't always available to attend those meetings. Mm -hmm. So they might not hear, you know, you're graduating, you need to go to the disability office, which we call accessibility services here, um, to let them know that you need accommodations. Uh, um, So sometimes students don't find us until the spring semester, which is perfectly fine. I'd rather them come forward when they need help. Um, But our goal is to always get students their first semester in the door, processing their accommodations and seeing the support services that they might need. Right. And one of the things that I'd mentioned before is that that's not just something that you do that one time, that this is something that each semester you have to do because you might need different accommodations for a chemistry class than you do for a writing class. Absolutely. Yeah, we do accommodations course specific um, and accommodations can change throughout the student's career at WCSU. Um, They might think about accommodations that they know they absolutely need um, and then junior, senior year get into some of the more in-depth major classes and find, wow, I need a different accommodation. Um, And so that's why we do require students to request their accommodations at the start of every single semester so that we know what accommodations they Mm -hmm. need in each class. And also so that their faculty members know. Right. Um, We don't notify faculty members until that student requests accommodation letters. Mm -hmm. So can they do that, like, right after they've registered for classes? Is that preferred to do it kind of before the other semester ends so that you can start the process? Or is it something that, that they should wait We typically say two to three weeks before the semester starts, just so if there's any scheduling changes or faculty members change, Mm -hmm. we know about it. Once I send out the accommodation letters, there's no notification back to me if a faculty member has changed Mm -hmm. unless the student reaches out to us. Um, So we always say two to three weeks, and then we'll be able to implement the accommodations for day one. Um, But some students wait. They go to their classes and then decide, okay, this class I would like accommodations for. I don't need it in a different class. Um, And they can request their letters at any point in the semester. Okay. Um, One of the things that that I wanted to talk about is is really kind of like if we start at the beginning, so a student has applied and been accepted here, what are their first steps with you and how how does that process actually start? Yeah. Um, So once a student is accepted into WCSU, they would reach out to our office. That typically happens through the parents Mm -hmm. um, of our incoming freshmen, which is okay. Um, And we try to push back on the parents just to say, we would like to hear from your son or daughter um, so that we can hear from them and explain the process of the transition that they're about to experience because at the end of the day, they're going to be their own Mm self-advocate. Um, So students would reach out. They can fill a hard copy paper copy in our office of an intake form Mm -hmm. um, that just is basic information about who they are, what accommodations they're requesting, what is their documented disability, and release authorization so that we can talk um, to different individuals in their life. Or they could complete it online. So we're trying to go as paperless as possible, Mm -hmm. uh, but we do still have some students that like to use the hard copy. So either is fine. Uh, They would fill out the the accommodation intake form, and then they would schedule a meeting with myself uh, to discuss what their disability is and what access concerns they have on on the campus, in classes or in housing. 
the student is also required to provide comprehensive documentation of their disability um, from a wide range of professionals. Um, we accept documentation from primary care doctors, psychiatrists, therapists, um, educational evaluations, psychological mm -hmm. evaluations. It really depends on what the student's diagnosis right. is that would dictate what type of documentation we need. Right, because there's all different kinds of disabilities. Mm -hmm. There's there's learning disabilities and there's there's physical disabilities and there may be some mental disabilities. There's all kinds of things going on that people are working with. So it's not kind of a one size fits all. Absolutely. Yeah. Absolutely. So they would meet with me. We would review the documentation together. We would talk about what accommodations they're requesting, and mm -hmm. a decision would be made about what accommodations are reasonable based on the documentation mm -hmm. and the student meeting. Um, and then they would be either told that every year they would have to provide new documentation. So some of our mental health conditions do require yearly updates. Mm -hmm. Or they would say your documentation will be valid for the duration of time at WCSU. And then they would be instructed to request those accommodation letters for each semester. Okay. Um, there was something I was going to ask and it's gone now. So I'm hoping it, it comes back. Um, I guess it was just about uh, it was about accommodations in general. Like, do you expect that the student knows what kind of accommodations they might need? Uh, usually, like I said, a lot of our students come in and they've been through some mm -hmm. of this before, so they may have some some good background from their own experience. But sometimes, if it's their first time doing this kind of thing they may not know. Right. So sometimes students come in and say, I am not too sure what you offer. Yeah. Um, can we talk about it? And then it's a discussion about, well, what's going on in your classes or what's happening in housing that you're experiencing an access concern? Mm -hmm. um, because what we're trying to do is reduce access concerns with mm -hmm. accommodations to level the playing field. Um, so sometimes based on the documentation, we'll make recommendations for an accommodation. Um, students who have received accommodations in the past typically come in saying, here's the accommodations that I would like. Um, and then, you know, it's always a, a back and forth conversation mm -hmm. to see, is there a true access issue that right. we need to address? And, and sometimes students have no idea and that's okay. Yep. And it's just a conversation about what the office does, what mm -hmm. are accommodations, what are classroom accommodations, what are testing accommodations, um, to help them understand um, the wide range of accommodations mm -hmm. that we do provide. And, and what are some of those accommodations? You know, there are some that are probably fairly standard for a lot of students. Mm -hmm. I know we talked um, at some point about like extra time for testing is is one that I remember that. Yeah, it's funny you yeah. ask that. I, I'm kind of giggling to myself because the the question that we always get is, well, can I see the list of accommodations? And, and I can pick and choose kind of like a checkbox. Yes. Yeah, and you know our response is there is no list of accommodations because it really comes down to what are your limitations mm -hmm. and what accommodations do you need? Um, and then the next question is always, well. If my diagnosis is this, what do you get? Yeah. Um, but, you know, we have such a wide range yeah. of accommodations. We kind of lump them into three categories. Mm -hmm. uh, classroom accommodations, which would be sitting in a particular space in the room. Um, maybe a student needs to have food or drink. Maybe they need to have breaks during the class mm -hmm. to access the bathroom. Um, we then have a testing accommodation, so that could be extra time on a test or quiz. Maybe they get distracted in a classroom and they need to take it in a 
reduced distraction mm-hmm. environment, and then housing accommodations. And, you know, that can range from a whole host mm-hmm. of different accommodations um, that students might need in the housing environment. Yeah. And I know there are there are things that are specific to to um, classrooms, like if students have a hearing issue, it, there might be, you know, a microphone that the professor would would wear with a receiver that the student has or, you know, I mean, there's just it's wild what you hear over the years that that people need or have used. So. Right. And as technology advances, mm-hmm. what we can offer changes to. Yeah. Um, yeah. And, you know, our goal is to be as least restrictive as possible and incorporate technology as much as we can. Yeah. Well, that's a, a kind of good segue to one of the questions I wanted to ask, because I was looking through the site and looking at the the different kinds of hardware that you have available and softwares and and was fascinated by all the apps that you had there because, you know, I I like to think that I stay relatively current on what's out there. And I was totally blown away by just the sheer numbers of of assisted or assistive, I guess, um, apps that, that are available. And those are available to everyone, not just students who are on, you know, an accessibility, you know, course that yeah. – you know, people like me can use a time management one. <laughs> right. And I think yeah. that that's a great point is our website has a whole host of information that even though we're talking about students with disabilities today, it does apply to all learners. Yeah. Um, so students of all abilities can access the assistive technology that we have mm-hmm. on our website. Um, one of the things that is probably the most valuable for all students on campus that a large number of students don't know about is a software that we have called Read and Write, which is available for every single student on this campus to download to as many computers as they would like, uh, which is a free reading software. So if the student has purchased an electronic textbook, they can have this software program read the textbook to them. So it's like an audible. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, it is. And then it has different features embedded in. So if you're doing a research uh, paper, you can highlight and it will pull out those quotes for you mm-hmm. and it will create different, um, you know, maps for writing assignments. And so it has two features, a reading feature to it yeah. and then a writing feature, nice. um, which all students may benefit from. Yeah. I'd use that if I were <laughs> if I were there. So, um, and I know there there are some other things you mentioned, things like note takers, um, because some students might not be able to do their own note taking. Mm-hmm. And I think my daughter actually did that for a semester or two when she first came mm-hmm. here. So, um, you know, I I think it's if students don't know about this and want to check it out. Just a quick run through your website is mm-hmm. is a fabulous place to get started to see some of the things that are are available if you need them and to see some of the things that you can take advantage of even if you're not a, a diagnosed disabled mm-hmm. you know student that you want to do that. Um, you know one of the things I, I wanted to ask was there are sometimes students who get here and they've never been diagnosed with a disability, but they may feel like, there's something going on that they might benefit by this. So what what would that kind of student do? You know, if they found that they were struggling in classes and they think it might be, 
you know, maybe they have ADHD that was never diagnosed or, you know, something mm-hmm. else. How how do they move forward with this? Yeah. Um, so I think it depends on what they think is going on. So mm-hmm. that we know that the college years is the years where mental health conditions do mm-hmm. start to rise um, and become um, aware of. And mm-hmm. so if students are, are seeing that they might have some anxiety or depression, you know, reaching out to our counseling center or maybe an off-campus provider mm-hmm. to see, you know, is this a mental health condition that accessibility services might be able to assist with? Mm-hmm. Um, for students with ADHD, they can go to their primary care doctor um, and talk to their primary care doctor. They might obtain a referral for an evaluation mm-hmm. to see um, how the ADHD impacts them. And then we also have a subset of students that think that they might have learning disabilities. Mm-hmm. And we do have a list in our office of local providers that mm-hmm. wish to be on a list. We can't recommend right. anyone um, be the evaluator, but we do have that list handy just so that students that want to receive an evaluation mm-hmm. could access that support. Yeah. And that kind of thing is not covered by the university. You know, it's not something that we're going to, you know, other than giving you a list, we're not going to be able to pay for it. We're not going to be able to do. It's not, you know, that's on your own. Right. It's at the student's expense (laughs) to be able to provide the appropriate documentation to the university. Right. But once a student has provided that and and is involved in the thing, then the services and and things they receive are at no cost to them. Correct. Yeah. yeah. So the um, accommodations and support services that we offer through the office are free, no charge yeah. um, for the students. And then sometimes there are students who are experiencing some kind of temporary disability. So, you know, kids on crutches or who are who've broken their leg in four places and are in a wheelchair for a mm-hmm. while or somebody who's had a concussion or, you know, we've got all kinds of things that that happen and they have surgery or something. So if if a student is in that kind of situation, what's their process for because they might need accommodations to be getting to class a little mm-hmm. later or something. Yeah. So I think concussions is probably one of the more important ones that we mm-hmm. should talk about because students don't always think about, oh, I should reach out to accessibility services. Also, they're not in a place to be able to kind of prioritize where mm-hmm. they need to go. So the university does have a concussion procedure in place, which would be my office. So if any student receives a concussion, they are advised to come forward to accessibility services just so that we can get an email out to their faculty members, mm-hmm. letting them know the date of the concussion and the expected return. Um, and then we work individually with the student on their recovery. Uh, what we want to do is kind of minimize the effects of the concussion mm-hmm. and allow the student to get the necessary rest. Right. Um, so that would be one population that I would want to come right to accessibility mm-hmm. services if they sustained a concussion. Um, more temporary disabilities, it really depends on what it is. Yeah. And so our first reaction to students is, have you reached out to your faculty member? Have mm-hmm. you informed them of what's going on? Now, there might be some temporary Uh, conditions that we do need to help with. Mm -hmm. So a student broke their writing hand. Um, Then we would need to intervene to allow that student to be able to either write or type Mm -hmm. or have a scribe um, to complete their their coursework. Um, Now, of course, we wouldn't do the at-home homework help with them, but in the class during tests and quizzes, we would accommodate that. Um, The other uh, population would be students who are pregnant Um, And we Mm -hmm. do pregnancy accommodations through accessibility services in collaboration with our Title IX office Mm -hmm. um, to help students there. Um, But when students um, experience a temporary uh, impairment, they should just reach out to the office to see um, if we would be the appropriate resource. Good. 
Um, since I'm in housing, I wanted to, and that's one of the areas that you cover. I just wanted to take a couple minutes to talk about that and how that process works for students. So if somebody feels like they have a need for some kind of housing accommodation, what's their process. Yeah, so the process is a little bit different mm -hmm. than academic accommodations because students have to follow all the procedures outlined by Housing and Residence Life. Um, so they need to make sure that they have their housing contract submitted and their deposit. Um, and then they would come and forward. And their meningitis. And shots. their meningitis. <laughs> yes, that's always a, a stickler there. Yes. Um, and then they would come forward and request an official accommodation and submit the appropriate documentation. Um, the student would meet with me, um, talk mm -hmm. about their access concerns and then the request is actually reviewed by the housing accommodation review committee so mm -hmm. it's not a decision that I can make on my own right. um, the committee does meet once a month uh, we will meet as needed but we do try to stick to the once a month mm -hmm. um, schedule uh, just so that we can review the request review the documentation and determine the appropriate accommodation needs for that individual student yeah and I know we get a lot of requests and and I think one of the things that it's from my perspective, important for people to know is that you may have something that you feel is an accommodatable request, and it's not always, um, you know, and particularly we talked about ADHD um, as one, and, and I know asthma is another one that frequently comes up for people, and sometimes the request that you're requesting is not necessarily the one that we can provide for you, um, you know, and I just wondered if we could, if a student doesn't get an accommodation that they were thinking they needed or wanted to have is there you know what's the process with that and are there appeals to that and how does that happen yeah so when an accommodation is determined either to not be supported in the documentation or not an appropriate accommodation, the student is informed what information is missing or why it wasn't supported. Um, students are always given the opportunity to resubmit additional documentation to see um, if the additional documentation would provide the support to um, that accommodation. And at any point, a student can actually go through the accommodation grievance procedure uh, to indicate that they do not agree with the accommodation decision made within accessibility services. Uh, and that would be reviewed by our ADA coordinator to determine was it a sound review, was it appropriate, and was um, was there an error in the decision making mm -hmm. or is it a valid right. decision? Yeah. And I, I think particularly in housing too, you know, a lot of people, their idea of accommodation is just that they want a single room. And for some people, that's probably absolutely necessary. Um, but I think people think housing has a lot more single rooms than, than we do that are available, too. So, you know, it's it's a tough situation to be in. And, it, yeah, and it uh, is a tough situation because who wouldn't want to live in a single room? Yeah. Um, but at the end of the day, in, in order for my office to intervene as an accommodation, the student needs to either have a diagnosis that impacts their ability to navigate mm -hmm. the roommate experience, yep. or they need to have some type of physical effects mm -hmm. of either having the roommate in the room or being able to enjoy the housing environment. Right. Yeah. And I don't, I don't want to go on with that. So I would like to, I would like to just talk with you about, um, because we're running out of time and we could talk forever about some of these things, but um, can you just 
kind of, I guess, will wrap this back around by telling us where your offices are located and how students can best get in touch with you. And and um, I did want to talk just a little bit. You talked early on about some of the folks who are available in your office for some of the special things. So if you could talk just a little about that, too. Sure. Um, so wrapping it back to our learning specialists. So we have four different learning specialists available to students who are registered and mm -hmm. approved for accommodations. Um, so we have a math specialist who works primarily with our students who are in Math 100 and 100P. Mm -hmm. We have a writing specialist who works on all stages of the writing process with students, and then two learning specialists who work on time management, organization, and study prep. Um, with the goal of encouraging students to access the support services on campus. Mm -hmm. um, so students also have time management organization help available to them through the Tutoring Resource right. Center or one-on-one -on -one content tutoring as well. Mm -hmm. um, they can access the math clinic or the writing center. We just try to create an environment where we understand the student's diagnosis based on their mm -hmm. documentation so we can kind of tailor interventions um, a little bit more specifically before referring the students out to the, the peer support models. Um, but our office is located in Whitehall, 005. We are open Monday through Friday from 8 to 4.30 during the academic year and 8 to 4 during the summer. Fabulous. Um, all right. Students can find you, obviously, on your website, too. Do you have any social media presence? We do not. Okay. Uh, maybe. Maybe in Instagram. I don't know. Um <laughs> Anything that you feel like I didn't ask about that people really need to know about accessibilities? Uh, I don't think so. The only, well, I shouldn't say I don't think so. No. Uh, the only <laughs> thing is we've been sending out emails to class rosters about our available note-taking positions, mm -hmm. and students are coming back saying, is this real? Um, so if you yes, do have, it is, if you do receive an email from AAS note taking, it is in fact real. We do hire over 100 student note takers throughout the semester to provide a copy of the notes yeah. that they're already taking in their class. Um, so that would be my only tidbit yeah. of, yes, the emails are, are real. We would really like to fill these yeah. positions. That's a great way. You're already doing the work. It's a great way you can get paid for it. So. There you go. <laughs> um, I want to thank you, Elizabeth, for being with us today and telling us all about accessibilities. And I think the listeners and probably a lot of parents and, and folks are really uh, will be interested in hearing some of this and knowing more about it. So I think, you know, in days to come as we go forward with this, we'll probably come back and maybe speak more specifically on some of the areas at some point. So I hope you'll come back sometime. Um, in the meantime, if any of you were listening in and you had a question about accessibilities or anything else that we've talked about over the year um, that you wanted an answer for, you can always get in touch with me at griffinm at wcsu.edu. And I think that'll be it. So until next time, this is us from Gavin Grove. And uh, have a good day. Bye now. Thank you.